Welcome back in, my friends. It's Count 'em Down, Season 1, Episode 13. Counting down every episode of Modern Doctor Who, and we have a very special episode for you today in honor of the return of David Tennant to Doctor Who, the announcement that came less than a week ago that he and Catherine Tate will be returning. We have a very special episode today featuring a number of David Tennant 10th Doctor stories on the countdown. Purely coincidental, actually. The list obviously is pre-existing, so it just so happens that it's a, it's a David Tennant dominant episode today. And keeping in that theme, I have selected three 10th Doctor specific trivia questions for you. Let's get into them. What does the Master steal from the 10th Doctor to power his Paradox Machine? What does the Master steal from the 10th Doctor to power his Paradox Machine? Question number two. In Planet of the Ood, what was the name of the entrepreneurial family who arrived on the Ood Sphere and enslaved the hive-minded Ood. In Planet of the Ood, what was the name of the entrepreneurial family who arrived on the Ood Sphere and enslaved the hive-minded Ood? And finally, in Tooth and Claw, the Tenth Doctor claims to be from a Scottish town named after which contemporary children's TV show. In Tooth and Claw, the Tenth Doctor claims to be from a Scottish town named after which contemporary children's TV show. As always, the answers will be revealed at the end of the podcast. Well, let's get back into the countdown. We've hit number 79 on the countdown and at number 79 an episode set in the parallel universe's version of London in the episode the businessman John Lumick seeks to upgrade all of humanity into Cybermen by placing their brains inside metal exoskeletons we're talking about Rise of the Cybermen and the Age of Steel, the massive Graham Harper Cyberman two-parter smack dab in the middle of Series 2. Let's get the low point out of the way right now. And when I say low point, that's like on a spectrum. I'm grading on a curve here. It's not bad enough to make me dislike the episode. I would say it's the most cringeworthy aspect of the of the two-parter. I'm talking about 
Roger Lloyd Pack is John Lumick. Now, he's not horrible by any stretch of the imagination. He's not. He's just very arch, very uh, cartoony, <laughs> I think is the best way to describe him. He like, he reminds me of a bad guy from uh, Inspector Gadget or <laughs> Journey to the Bottom of the Sea. Uh, he just is uh, very like, <laughs> like all he... <laughs> like when he's sitting in that throne thing like the only thing missing is for him to have a cat sitting on his lap for him to <laughs> sit there and stroke uh aside from that i really enjoy graham harper directed episodes because they feel <sighs> they feel tight and they feel epic and grand and and they feel like the scope is always is always massive on these things like it just feels like like this this two-parter engulfs you i know i know it's not everybody's favorite cyberman story and for a variety of reasons it works for me I, I love the sequence towards the end of Rise of the Cybermen when the Doctor pieces together what's happening and you hear the... Like the marching of the Cybermen. I, I, I've heard people complain about the, the, the sort of military style, militaristic nature of these Cybermen. I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I think it works really well, and uh, and I enjoy it quite a lot. There's a another sequence that I really enjoy. Uh, I believe it's in the Age of Steel, where the Doctor and is it Mrs. Moore, perhaps? I think could be um, where they're creeping down this this little tunnel hallway thing, and it's lined with Cybermen. And they're just like shimmying down and they're trying not to brush up against and then the Cybermen start to wake up. Ugh, that sequence is so good. So good. Um You know, there's it's just, there's there's just so much to enjoy about this. I would say one of the other things that is a bit eh, uh is the is it the president? Uh, the dude who who confronts Lumic, and then at the party is is uh, is done for at the party. I think he's the president. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I feel like he kind of. It just feels like that that person, that character, would really understand. He should have caught on earlier. <laughs> like I feel like. If I'm in that person's shoes, uh, I'm going to be like, mm, you know what? I'm going to maybe listen to this dude who's telling me to not push this any further. And I'm just going to run. <laughs> like, I just, it feels a bit, a bit overdone. Yeah, he is the president. Don Warrington as the president. Uh, I feel like he could have played that a little bit. He could have bailed a little bit earlier. Um, Jake was great in it. Uh, pretty big fan of his. 
the the uh, actor who played uh, Rita Ann was fantastic. It just just a big grandiose Cyberman two-parter. It really does the trick. It does the trick. It's captivating. I like it. Number 79, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. Coming in at number 78 is a 10th Doctor story that is very near and dear to my heart. In the episode, the episode's narrative takes place in England some time after the events of the 2005 episode, The Christmas Invasion, and involves the 10th Doctor reuniting with his former traveling companion, Sarah Jane Smith, whom the 4th Doctor left behind in the 1976 serial, The Hand of Fear. In the episode, the alien race, the Krillitans, disguising themselves as school faculty, use the minds of children to solve a theory of everything that would allow them to control time and space. We're talking about school reunion. When I first started making Doctor Who podcasts, the first episode I ever did uh, was a podcast called or no excuse me was it I can't remember a journey through uh, yeah I believe it was a journey through a journey through classic Doctor Who was the first Doctor Who podcast I started I only did a few episodes of it but on that first episode I did a little five top five thing at the end top five moments of joy in all of modern Doctor Who. And uh, this was on that list. This entire episode. There are two just perfect moments. Perfect moments in, in School Reunion. Moment one is when the Doctor is in the, the faculty room or whatever... And Sarah Jane Smith walks in, and they introduce themselves, and he realizes it's her. Now, there is the aspect of that that is the character, the character of the Doctor, seeing Sarah Jane again, and feeling just, you can feel the character in that moment being just delighted. You can also feel David Tennant, the Doctor Who fan, just being super giddy. Just the joy in his face. The delight. That's a moment. That's a moment of pure joy. Like, genuinely. That's, that's David Tennant happy. Really excited. Thrilled for that moment. He he grew up, Sarah Jane was, like, the companion. I know his favorite doctor was the fifth doctor, but, like, he said a number of times that he was a huge Sarah Jane fan. So that moment is beautiful. I love that moment. Can't get enough of it. The second moment is when Sarah Jane breaks back into the school and our trio 
of uh, Rose and the doctor and Mickey are already inside. And she hears something and she kind of st- fumbles backwards and she, she goes through a door and she's in like a little broom closet and she turns around and the TARDIS is there and the lighting and the angle, that sort of cockeyed angle looking up at the TARDIS and that in the background. Oh my gosh. I just got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Such an amazing moment. Like a perfect moment. Flawless moment. The rest of the story, the stuff involving the, uh, the, 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 the aliens whose name I have a really hard time saying was the, the Krillitanes? Krillitans? Krillitanes? Obviously that CGI sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's not good. It's not very good at all. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's all kind of background noise. The, what this story, what makes this story special is the interactions between Sarah Jane and the Doctor, and Sarah Jane and Rose. And the stuff with Sarah Jane and Rose tiptoes a line for me of being less than enjoyable. Um, but it's that dynamic, that, that three-way dynamic that is just, that makes the episode. I love this, I love this episode. Like, it is, uh, it is near and dear to my heart. Number 78 on the countdown, School Reunion. Coming in at number 77, we have another 10th Doctor two-parter. Part 1, set in the 21st century, The Master uses a network of mobile phone satellites to hypnotize the world and influence the population of the United Kingdom into electing him Prime Minister. Following the election, he makes contact with an invading race he calls the Takalafane. Part 2, set on Earth one year after Part 1, the episode sees the Master uh, has conquered the Earth and enslaved its population to prepare warships for him to conquer the rest of the universe. The medical student Martha Jones has spent the previous year traveling the planet as part of a plan to stop the Master. We are talking about the sound of drums and last of the Time Lords. This one is tough to place for a couple of reasons. One, it's really hard for me to to not call this a three-parter with with Utopia going on the front end. Uh, It's tough. It was tough for me to figure out. There were a few stories that were like that. Like, how do I place this? How do I break it down? Ultimately, when I really thought about it, Utopia stands on its own, and then we have this two-parter that follows it. This is an early case of a two-part finale that is let down by part two. Though I would say it's only slightly let down by part two. Like, the sound of drums is so good. The sound of drums... 
directed by Colin Teague, both parts are, uh, is just bonkers. Bonkers. John Sim is so good as the master. So much good stuff going on in the sound of drums, the All of that is done so well. That reveal is done so well. And the way that that uh, that Paxson, is it Paxson? I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Paxson or Paxton? Either way. The way that that's been placed throughout leading in, it's just, it's done perfectly. Perfectly. The sound of drums sets everything up and builds and builds and builds and then last of the time lords comes along and look there are three issues that i have with last of the time lords one the benjamin button syndrome stuff like <laughs> that that's the stuff the the stuff with the doctor just just being forever old and tiny and in a birdcage that's something that's better left in a book you know what i'm saying like that's better for me to read and imagine myself that's tough but they went for it and so they get points for going for it that's tough to deal with though uh that's that's quite the visual speaking of difficult visuals <laughs> The doctor, the doctor and his like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the, 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 the Jesus on the cross, savior, elevation, matrix, like all of that stuff. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough. And then the other thing that, that I kind of dislike but I also kind of like it's almost like I like the spirit of it but don't love the logic of it is the stuff with Martha Jones and her spreading the word literally she's spreading the word of um, of our savior the doctor uh, and and everybody uh, starts thinking it or saying it at the same time and that's what helps to conquer the day it gets a little bit it gets a little bit too big for its britches, is what I'm trying to say, in a nutshell. It's still really enjoyable. This is a really enjoyable two-parter. And while Last of the Time Lords does trip over itself a couple of times, the performances are spot on. The direction is good. Uh, the writing is good. It just kind of, yeah, just kind of... It just overflows. It's like it, like everybody loves chocolate milk, right? You love chocolate milk. And like we're getting plenty of chocolate milk in the sound of drums. Lots of chocolate milk. And then they're like, oh, you want a little bit more? And so they start pouring more. And then it just keeps spilling over the sides. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. That's enough chocolate milk. We don't need to keep. It just, there's too much chocolate milk. So, I mean, but everybody loves chocolate milk. So it's a good thing. And it's a. I don't know what I'm talking about. Number 77 on the countdown, The Sound of Drums, and Last of the Time Lords. Coming in at number 76 on the countdown, The Eleventh Doctor 
Amy and Rory arrive on a planet for a holiday, but they find that the planet is on quarantine as the two-hearted natives are susceptible to a deadly plague. Amy accidentally gets separated from the Doctor and Rory, but when they try to rescue her, they arrive 36 years later in her timeline. The older Amy does not trust the Doctor, who is forced to remain on the TARDIS as he also has two hearts, and will not allow the Doctor and Rory to leave and rescue her at the correct point in her timeline. We are talking about the girl who waited. The Girl Who Waited is a story that I have seen ranked very high on some folks' lists. I have seen it top 30. I've seen it top 40. Uh, I, I, a lot of people point to it as just an example of a phenomenal episode of Doctor Who. And I think it's a really good episode of Doctor Who. There are elements to it that work really well. And there are elements to it that really appeal to us Doctor Who fans. The main one being, we love it when the Doctor is put in a position that forces him to make a hard choice, a difficult decision. We love to see him struggle with the, the morals of a situation, either the or, you know, when we're looking at Genesis of the Daleks, something like that. Uh, I don't think that was the first time that the choice had to be made, but it is one of the more famous times. The whole, do I have the right? Do I have the right to eliminate the Daleks before they even get started? Before they harm all these people that I know that they're going to harm? Do I have the right to commit, uh, to stop them from being... Uh, created, committing genocide, essentially. We love to see the Doctor in those situations, and those types of stories appeal and, and, and really elevate the material. And it works here. It does work here. I do enjoy the Doctor being stuck on the TARDIS and having to figure out a different way to attack this. I think it's impactful to have Rory as the, the surrogate. Uh, to have Rory having to take care of this issue at, in person. I love Karen's performance in this episode. I think she's fantastic as older Amy. She's really good and really believable. The only reason this isn't higher on the list for me is that there's just something about it that's almost indescribable for me. That, like, it just doesn't connect with me. It feels more sanitized. It feels more forced. It feels more contrived, I guess. Maybe that's too harsh. It feels like... Uh, this is getting in the weeds a bit too much. It feels like they started from the point of 
we want this tough decision to have to be made and then built the story outward instead of building the story and being like oh that's a tough decision like you know what i'm saying it doesn't it doesn't feel organic to me it doesn't feel warm to me it's not something it's not an episode that i really yearn to watch again um anytime i rewatch it it's like oh, i should probably check that out again it's been a while sort of thing so uh i appreciate it i know it's good i i i, I see how good it is it's just not one of my favorites. It is, however, good enough to come in at number 76 on the countdown. The Girl Who Waited. Coming in at number 75, we have a story from series 12 that has quickly become one of my go-to episodes from the Whitaker era. Set in 1903, the 13th Doctor, Graham, Ryan, and Yaz help Nikola Tesla escape from being kidnapped by the Skithra aliens. We're talking about Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. There is... So much good stuff going on in this story. So much from the very beginning. Opening up with that shot of Niagara Falls, panning down to Nikola Tesla, talking to the possible investors, them then moving into uh, the facility and him explaining to them his idea for this wireless uh, base, this wireless power source thingamajigger, whatever it is, trying to get them to it. I love that open. I love it. Him encountering the floating orb, being confused by it, feeling threatened, grabbing, uh, what's her name, Mrs. Scarrett, and them taking off running, the doctor saving the day. It's just, it's a, it, it's one of those stories that gets going and never really slows down. And those are some of the best episodes of Doctor Who. It's just fun. It's a joy to watch. There's not too much to think about. They don't dive too deeply into Nikola Tesla. They could have, for sure. I, I, I guess I could complain about that. That, like, not enough time was devoted to one of the most fascinating human beings who has ever walked the planet. Um, but at the same time, how much time can you really commit to that in, in a historical like this one? Uh, the stuff with Thomas Edison and, and their interaction, those, their interactions, those two characters, uh, Goran, mm, Goran Vishnish, Vish, I don't know how to say his last name, but he does a great job as Nikola Tesla and looks exactly like Nikola Tesla. Uh, that most famous image, famous image of Nikola Tesla, it just it's it's as close to spot on as you're gonna get. There's so much to enjoy here. The only thing that ever stood out to me about this story that was a little bit, huh, a little bit, mm, uh, the Queen Skithra. She does a great job. She's effective. Looks identical to me. To Rachnos. <laughs> to like the big Rachnos lady from 
Runaway Bride. Like, the make, the teeth look the same, the eyes look the same, the makeup is very close, the performance is the same. <laughs> like, it's like they're cousins, which makes sense, I guess. One's a spider, one's a scorpion. Uh, that's the only thing that ever was like, huh, that's a bit odd. <laughs> like, a bit, it's a bit strange. This is just a fun episode. A fun episode, uh, one that you can pop in. Uh, you know, Jody hasn't had, doesn't have very many of these sort of stories that are just standalone adventures, starts at the beginning of the episode and ends at the end of the episode. They are uh, few and far between for her, and so this one stands out as as one of the uh, one of the more enjoyable ones. From the Whitaker era. Number 75 on the countdown. Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Alright gang. That does it. For the countdown portion of today's episode. To recap. At 79. Rise of the Cybermen. Age of Steel. 78. School Reunion. 77. The Sound of Drums. Last of the Time Lords. 76, The Girl Who Waited, and at 75, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Next episode, coming to you next Tuesday, we will hit the halfway point of the countdown, covering number 74 through 70. There will be a bit of Capaldi, there will be a bit of Whitaker, and there will be more Tenant for that ass. But now, let's get to the answers to our trivia questions. A couple of challenging trivia questions, I thought, this week. Question number one. What does the Master steal from the Tenth Doctor to power his Paradox Machine? The correct answer, his TARDIS. That was the easy one. That was the softball. Question number two. If you got this one, pat yourself on the back. In Planet of the Ood, what was the name of the entrepreneurial family who arrived on the Ood sphere and enslaved the hive-minded Ood? Correct answer, Halpin. The Halpin family. And finally, in Tooth and Claw, the Tenth Doctor claims to be from a Scottish town named after which contemporary children's TV show... Correct answer, Bellamore. Bellamore. I, I don't know what that is. I got one right out of those three. Uh, if you did better, uh, good for you. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. I crashed and burned on those questions. That's it, gang. As always, if you would like to reach out to the show, please do. Follow me on Twitter at CountEmDownPod or email the show CountEmDownPod at gmail.com. Until next week, keep your feet on the ground, keep reaching for the stars.